Meanwhile... <laughs> Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations proudly presents... Dime Store Radio Theater's Halloween Spooktacular 2023! Our first installment this week... The Veered Circle... Delivering Edgar Allan Poe's The Fall of the House of Usher. The Weird Circle. In this cave by the restless sea, we are met to call from out of the past stories, strange and weird. Bellkeeper, toll the bell so that all may know we are gathered again in the Weird Circle. are here. Now, smaller in size and ten times sweeter to keep with the changes in modern community standards. Acme brand Halloween candy in association with Acme certified dentists. Now, we return you to the Weird Circle here on Dime Store Radio Theater's Halloween Spooktacular 2023! This is the history of the House of Usher. I am leaving it as my last will and testament because before this year is over, the cavernous tarn will close over the gables of our decadent home. It was written by our ancestors many years ago that when the rains are blood red, the House of Usher will crumble to the earth. There are three members of the Usher family living, two in direct descent, the Lady Madeline and her twin brother, Roderick. I was engaged to marry Roderick long before I knew my cousin. It is the custom for the Usher family to intermarry. The Lady Madeline has been confined to bed these many weeks, waiting for death, waiting for the last days of her life to pass quietly. I have so little time left, Roderick. I must see Charles before I die. Charles Wilson is tied up in London on business. He can't come down here every time you've a whim to see him. Oh, this is no whim. It's just a matter of days before I 
Don't be impatient with me. Sister, please. Oh, afraid of the truth, Roderick? You've always been afraid of me. I can read your mind so easily. Look at me, brother. Let's not argue again. You've always wanted me to die. You've waited for it year after year. Praying and hoping that I die. Leaving you free to inherit the house and the fortune. But you'll be fooled. Look. Look at the rain. This isn't you speaking. It's the fever. Fever or not, the rain is turning red, isn't it? Yes, it... It seems that way at times. Each day it will be redder. And redder. And darker and... Madeline. Afraid, brother? Are you afraid of blood-red rains? The doctor said you should have rest and quiet. You, you weaken yourself when you're excited. Where's Dina? I don't know. I'm not her keeper. She's downstairs, probably, buried in that romantic nonsense that she reads. Every girl likes to read romantic stories, Rod. Heaven help her when she becomes your wife. Call her for me, will you? The doctor's orders were that you're not to be disturbed. Call her, Rod. Do as I say. For your own good, I... I'll get even with you someday. Dina. 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 Madeline. Dina. Did you call me Lady Madeline? Yes, Dina Child. Come here, my dear. Is there something I can do for you? Yes. I want to see Charles Wilson before... Before I die. I told you he was busy, Maddie. Tell Talbot to hitch up the coach and four, Dina. Go to London tonight. Tell Charles I must see him right away. Bring him back with you. I'll not have Dina go out in this weather. But, Rod, Dina, please go. Don't listen to Rod. Do this for me. I will not have strangers dragged into our family secrets. Charles Wilson is no stranger. He's the only one who knows the secret of the house of Usher. I don't like leaving you, cousin. The doctor will be here shortly. Hurry, my dear, and bring Charles back. I forbid it, Dina. If I don't see Charles tonight, I'll be buried alive. Not able to live. Not able to die. We'll never get through to London tonight, Mum. Not in this weather. Not in a million years. It ain't a night for humans to be a bat. The Lady Madeline is dying. The least we can do is grant her her last wish. Dina! Dina! Quickly, Talbot, before Lord Rick tries to catch up with us. Dina, did you hear me call you? Yes, I heard you, cousin. I tried to protect you, child, because I love you. I don't want any harm to come to my future wife. Please, run. What? Turn for me when I touch you? I don't know. Afraid of me? I, I... Answer me, Dina. Are you afraid of me? Yes. But you loved me once. That was before we returned to the house of Osher. And you're going anyway? Yes, Roderick. For Madeline's sake. Are you ready, Mum? Yes. Yes, Talbot, ready. We'll be back by midnight, Roderick. Hurry, cousin. Or else the lady Madeline might not live long enough to get her last wish. Did she leave, Roderick? Yes. Madeline, why don't you confide in me? Why must you call in strangers when you know how it humiliates me? I can't trust you, Roderick. Ever since we were children, you've kept one secret from me. What is that secret, Madeline? 
that's one thing you'll never wheedle out of me. What is that secret, Maddie? Leave me alone, brother. I'm ill. You're dying, Madeline. You know you're dying. The secret won't do you any good. Now, what is it? Please, Roderick. Tell me, Madeline, or you won't live to die the way you think you will. <laughs> Tell me, or by heaven, I'll force it out of you. Oh, oh, oh. oh whoa there, whoa, boy. Uh, this is his house, Mum. Thank you, Talbot. Mr. Wilson, is he here? Yes, I... Why, Dina Usher, what are you doing in London at this hour of the night? Come in, my dear. The Lady Madeline sent me. Great heavens, child, your clothes are dressed. Come on in. I'll fix you some hot tea. Oh, we haven't time, Charles. Madeline wants to see you at once. Please come with me, right away. The doctor doesn't think she'll live through the night. Madeline? Darling? Oh, she's been ill for months. Charles, you wouldn't know her anymore. Why didn't you let me know before this? Roderick wouldn't let me. Roderick. But why? I can't explain now, Charles. Believe me when I say it's important that you come at once. Talbot's waiting outside. I'm frightened for Madeline. We've got to be back by midnight. You came in time, Doctor. Lady Usher, you shouldn't allow your brother to excite you. He has a cruel streak in him at times. Surprisingly like my grandfather. What time is it? Midnight. Here, drink this. It will give you strength. I can't move. Uh, lean against me. There. Dr. Bain, you've attended all my family, haven't you? Yes, Lady Usher. You've been closer to us than almost anyone. If I ask you for an honest answer, would you give it to me? That depends on the question. How much longer have I to live? Years, my dear. No, Doctor. I want an honest answer. Please. It's imperative that I know. I don't know really. My dear. Hurry, Talbot. Please hurry. I'm going as fast as the horses can go, Mum. Faster, Talbot. We won't accomplish anything at all if you lose self-control, Dina. Oh, I'm sorry, Charles, but I've the most dreadful foreboding. Foreboding? Well, I thought Madeline and Roderick were as close as brother and sister could possibly be. They were until about a year ago. What caused the change? Well, I'd been living at the house of Usher for about four months when Roderick suddenly became, well, nervous, jumpy. He'd lock himself up in his room for days. He was morbid, frightfully morbid. Sounds like a depression of spirit. Oh, it went deeper than that. Madeline fell ill at the same time. And then the horrible reddish rains began to fall. Red rain? Dina, really? Oh, you'll see. The first day those rains began to fall, the rift between Madden and Roderick widened. Until now, their hate is a living thing. It fills the house. They seem to be battling constantly for possession of each other's soul. Charles, look. Look ahead. There's the house. And the rain. Look at the rain. Yes. 
Fred Ray. Well, Charles, uh, do come in. We, we've been waiting for you. Oh, it's good to see you again, Roderick. Come in, Dina. Don't stand there staring at me. It's been a long time since I've last seen you, Rod. Yes, uh, a long time. Let me take your coat, Charles. I'll hang it up. Thank you, dear. My sister's waiting, Charles. You'd better go right up. Yes, uh, of course. I'd better warn you. Madeline's delirious. She doesn't quite know what she's saying sometime. Uh, Rod, uh, why don't you come up with me? She expressed a desire to see you alone. The Weird Circle is brought to you by Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations. And this week, brought to you by Acme Brand Halloween Candy. You've been seeing it on the shelf at your local grocer since the last day of school back in June. So, why not finally go home with a bag of Acme brand Halloween candy? Where bulk matters more than quality. Now, we return you to the Weird Circle and Dime Store Radio Theater's Halloween Spooktacular 2023! I'm so glad you came. I had to see you alone. Madeline, don't try to sit up. You'll only weaken yourself. Sit over here, Charles, next to me. You're the only person I can trust, and you must promise to do exactly as I say. Of course, of course. Remember what I told you years ago. Remember about Roderick and me. I told you then that he and I were more than twins. Well, that was just childish fancy. I wish to God it were. Those suspicions have all been proven these last few months. Roderick and I are, are only one person. Not two. We have two earthly bodies, but we share one soul. When Charles and I were born, our shoulders were attached. The day of our birth, we were separated. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean you share one soul. I've never been able to feel anything for myself. His thoughts are my thoughts. His tears are my tears. His weaknesses are mine. Don't you understand, Charles? Are you sure of this, Madeline? Positive. His mind has the initiative. He doesn't respond to my emotions. Because I had none. None. I'm cold without him. Don't you see? My earthly body is wasting away. But my soul is not my own. As long as he's alive, Charles, the power of his life will keep me living. Madeline, Lady Madeline, you mustn't even think of it. Oh, it's true, though. I'll have a living death. I'll be buried alive. Unable to live. Unable to die. Madeline. That's why I called you here. Promise me now, Charles. You'll never allow my coffin to be sealed. Keep my body in this house. You must rest, Madeline. Stop talking. Do you promise, death. Charles? Promise. Yes, yes, of course I do. I don't tell Roderick Charles. Ever. He'll seal me in my tomb alive. Madeline, my my dear. Every model is entitled to his own soul. If I can't rest in death. Oh. If, if I can't rest in death. I'll return from the grave and take him with me. You've given 
Can you be your promise, Charles? You won't forget it. My promise is my word. What are you doing standing outside this door, Roderick? Tina. Not enough to see Charles in privacy. Why do you insist on spying on your own sister? Shut up. I can't understand you, Roderick. There are many things you can't understand, Dina. Come with me downstairs. Let me go. Come along. To the living room. I'd like to go in and tell Madeline that you were spying on her again. Tell her if you wish. She's a poor, sick thing. Unable to lift her arm against me. I don't know how I ever loved you. You'll learn to again after we're married. I hate you, Roderick Usher. I'll never marry you. I... Roderick, Roderick, what's the matter? Pain inside me, crawling like bourbon. Help me, Dina. Oh, of course. Help me. Roderick! Dina! It's Madeline! She's dead! Madeline, beside your bed. You're dead, Madeline. Dead. Two people fought for the possession of one soul, and you've lost. <laughs> You'll try to drag me to the grave with you, but you're weaker than I, Madeline. You'll never return. Never. And that was her last request, Doctor. It's a peculiar request, Mr. Wilson. I know it is, Doctor, but it was the Lady Madeline's last wish. Oh, Roderick. What are you doing here? Taking a last look at my beloved sister's face. Oh. Doctor, I'm not quite sure that the Lady Madeline is dead. Look at the flush of life in her cheeks. Stop speaking like a fool, Charles. Look for yourself, Roderick. What are you trying to do, frighten me? No. I've asked the doctor to verify her death. In cases of this kind, Mr. Wilson, death from catalepsy, the deceased often retains a lifelike flush. But it's merely symptomatic. Nothing supernatural about it. Of course she's dead. Isn't she, Doctor? However, if you feel the slightest doubt... No doubt at all. I'd suggest delaying the burial for a week or two. As the nearest of kin, I want the funeral held at once. She'll be laid to rest in the family catacombs beneath the house. Roderick, I gave her my word. Your word isn't valid. You're not one of the family. But it was my word of honor. Don't mix in family affairs, Charles. But the least you can do is grant her last wish, Roderick. This is nonsense. The dead are best buried. But, Rod, your own sister... No. As the doctor in the case, I don't feel justified in making out a death certificate for two weeks. The Lady Madeline will lie in state in her coffin in the catacombs. The coffin will remain open. For 30 years, these catacombs have been unused. Look at the walls, Dina. Time has encrusted them with nitre. It's cold in here. Cold and damp. Let's take the coffin this way, Talbot. Watch out, Charles. Don't fall. Be careful. Catacombs have always been soft with slime and nitre. Hard to breathe in here at times, isn't it? Where's the room, Roderick? Ahead. The end of the corridor. Are you positive we can keep a fire burning in there? Yes, Charles. Uh, Talbot. Yes, sir. Did you start the fire? Oh, yes, sir. I did that early this morning. The room ought to be warm by now, sir. Talbot's a dependable man. He starts warm fires to bring life to death. Roderick, how can you act like that? Your own sister. Yes, my own dear, beloved sister. Hey, Charles, look ahead of you. 
tiny room at the end of a corridor. The fire is blazing. Careful. Careful with the casket. We'll place it on the table. Center of the room. All right, sir. We can place it down. Yes. Yes, top. Down there. I know that my redeemer will rest in peace. And that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And though this body be destroyed, yet shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not as a stranger. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. The Lord giveth, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yes, ma'am. Why, ma'am, what are you doing up at this hour of the night? I can't sleep. I keep dreaming that Lady Madeline is crying for help. Where's Lord Roderick? Oh, he couldn't sleep either, ma'am. He said he was worried that his sister was cold, ma'am. Whatever does he mean by that? Did he go down to the catacombs? Yes, ma'am, that he did. He said he wanted to stir the fires a bit. Down there? Oh, wait a minute, ma'am. Later, Talbot. I must stop him. I must. I wouldn't go down there, Mum. It's ever so cold at night and damp. I wouldn't go down there myself. I advised Lord Roderick against it, Mum. I did. I told Roderick. Her. Roderick. Roderick. The door. The door slammed shut. It's so dark in here. Cold and dark. Roderick. Roderick. Roderick, where are you? Rod. Rod, answer me. Rod. Roderick. Roderick, I can't see. I don't like these goings-on at all, I don't. People dying and not getting themselves properly buried. It ain't normal. No, that it ain't. Talbot. What? Are you out too, Mr. Wilson? Don't nobody sleep proper in this here house? Where are Miss Dina and Lord Roderick Talbot? Well, I was sitting here as nice as you please, sir. But where is Miss Dina Talbot? Well, yeah, that's what I'm getting to. I was drinking this here cup of tea when Lord Roderick comes in a little past midnight... Or uh, was it a little before midnight? Where is he? Well, well, I'm getting to that. He comes in and he says he does... He wants a flame. Yes? Yeah. He says, as calm as you please, he wants to go down and keep his sister from getting cold. And Miss Dina? Well, as for her, she came down a little later and said she dreamt that the Lady Madeline was calling to her. So she follows Lord Roderick to the catacombs. It ain't proper, sir. It ain't proper. Calling me, cousin. Oh, Roderick. Roderick, I was so frightened. I thought I was lost. Why did you come down here? I, I dreamt Madeline needed me. Well, what did you do, Rod? Be quiet, Tina. You closed the coffin. Oh, how could you? Don't you approve? You, you were going to drive a, a stake through her coffin. She was a witch, Tina. A witch. Isn't that the custom to drive a stake through the heart of a witch? Watch, Dina. Watch. No. Watch me drive the hammer through a heart. What? Stop that. Stop. Stop that. Roderick, put that stake down in heaven's name. Don't. Don't. Leave it alone. Thank God. 
hands off. Please, Roderick, please. It's so horrible. Don't you understand? It's your own sister. Your own sister. You'll pay for this, Dina. You and Madeline together. Oh, Roderick. Roderick. Come and help me with this. Yes, sir. Pardon me, Lord Roderick, but... Oh, Charles, darling. You came just in time. He looks like he was dead, sir. Lying there on the sofa. No. No, he's beginning to stir. Keep bathing his face in cool water, dear. Uh, He'll be all right. I'm afraid the shock of Madeline's death is too much for him. The shock of her death? Uh, the constant fall of the rain? It's getting redder all the time, Charles. Uh, yes, it is. That's just an electric phenomenon. Oh, don't try to move, Roderick. Oh, it's you, Dina. You again. Lie still, cousin. You'll feel better in a little while. You're both fools. You shouldn't have stopped me. She's a witch. Don't you understand? No, no, Roderick. Listen. Listen, Charles. What? Can't you hear it? What are you talking about? Listen. I told you once my hearing was super acute. I can hear a heart beating. You're over, Rod. Suppose I go for the doctor, Rod. He'll give you a sedative. No. No, don't leave me. But you need your sleep. No, of course you do. All this horror tonight will pass over when the morning comes. And those infernal rains clear. It's not in my mind. She's coming. She's coming for me. I can hear her in the catacombs. Listen, Charles, listen. Roderick, please believe me that you're simply overwrought and emotional. I've got to get out of here. I must leave at once. She's coming for me. Coming. She swore she would. I know she did. I overheard. I overheard her talk with you, Charles. Roderick. Cousin, no, you're hearing things. Now, listen. I can't hear anything. She's leaving the catacombs now. Listen, Charles, don't you hear her breathing? Can't you hear her footsteps? Her sighs? She's in the hallway, Charles. In the hall. Help me, Charles. Help me, Charles. Roderick. She's coming closer. Faster. Faster. Her feet are on the stairs. One by one, she's coming up those stairs. Listen, you can hear her now, can't you? You can hear her now. Charles, look out the window. The rains are blood red. She's outside the door. Listen. Listen, cousin, listen. Madeline! No, sister. No. Leave the house of Usher, Charles. You and Dina, leave this cursed house at once. The rains are blood red. And I've come to reclaim my soul. Adelaide. No. No. And you, Roderick. You will be soulless forever. From that chamber and from that mansion, Charles and I fled aghast. The storm was still abroad in all its wrath as we crossed the park to the highway. The moon above the house of Usher was blood red. And Charles held me close as we walked on and on into the night. Dina, my darling. Don't look back. The house has crumbled to the ground. Crumbled into the cavernous tide. Charles. Little Dina. You'll always be safe with me.
Shino's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations have been bringing you the Veered Circle. And this week, brought to you by Acme Brand Halloween Candy. Worried that you might find pieces of Acme Brand Halloween Candy for months? Possibly years after trick-or-treating has ended in your neighborhood? Never fear! Acme Brand Halloween Candy is shelf-stable for up to 16 years. You can't call it stale. It's already called Acme. We now return you to the conclusion of The Weird Circle here on Dime Store Radio Theater's Halloween Spooktacular 2023! From the time-worn pages of the past... We have heard another immortal tale in The Weird Circle. Bellkeeper, toll the bell. Be here in this lonely cave by the restless sea once again next time for another immortal tale in The Weird Circle. second installment this week we bring you the price of fear with cat's cradle the price of fear Brought to you by Vincent Price. Hello there. Do you own a cat? Or rather, I should say, does a cat own you? Doesn't it strike you as strange that despite centuries of domestication, cats have never really lost their independence, their ruthlessness? To cats, life is still the lore of the jungle. Just try taking liberties with your cat. Be he never so tame, and you'll soon be put in your place. (laughs) I've always had a healthy respect for cats, despite that one time when I was forced to... Oh, but let me tell you about it. I think I'll call the story Cat's Cradle. The Price of Fear is brought to you by Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations. And this week, brought to you by Acme Brand Halloween Costumes. We know kids are looking for something new and exciting to wear out with their friends on Halloween night. Something easily recognizable when they go door to door. That's why the Acme collection this year includes the costumes kids crave. Henry Fonda, Betty Davis, the dashing Cary Grant, and Catherine Hepburn. Yes, Your children will swoon over Acme's 1930s Halloween collection. Acme brand Halloween costumes. We've got you covered. And now, back to The Price 
of fear. Several years ago, I was making a movie in Germany, and there was some sort of hold-up during shooting, a tiresome and boring state of affairs that happens all too often. And I found myself with some days on my hands, so I decided to visit some of the beautiful old castles of Bavaria. High on my itinerary was Sonderberg in Franconia, near the Württemberg border. Sonderberg tends to get overlooked by the main tourist trade, yet it is one of the most complete examples I know of a medieval market town which has survived comparatively intact. I checked in at one of the local hotels late one afternoon, and while they were getting my room ready, I sat down at one of the little tables near the door and ordered a drink, a large tankard of their local beer, actually. At the next table sat a young couple, whispering intently, but their voices were angry and out of control, and as I sat enjoying my beer, it was impossible not to overhear that they were deep in some childish tip. Beth, for God's sake, stop talking nonsense. How dare you say it's nonsense? It is nonsense, and you know it. I never even looked at the damn woman. I don't know how you can be so callous. Did you see how disgustingly fat she was? I tell you, I didn't notice her at all. Liar. Oh, shut up. Oh, God, what a start to married life. Oh, look, Beth, you're tired. I'm tired. It, it's all been a strain. Let's not say things we'll be sorry for. Let's have an early night. The next best thing to your German housefrau. Oh, for the last time, I didn't fancy her. If you're going to carry on like this every time I look at another woman, you'd better tear my ruddy eyes out. Ah, so now you admit you looked at her. Oh, for heaven's sake. The young man glanced uneasily in my direction, obviously wondering if I'd become an involuntary eavesdropper. Of course I had. And I certainly had no intention of making myself scarce. Isn't this a charming town? Yes, charming. Delightful. Are you on vacation? No. Yes. <laughs> that is, we... Uh... We're on our honeymoon. Oh, are you? Are you indeed? Well, what an ideal place to spend it. We haven't exactly succumbed to its charms yet. We've only just arrived. Well, give it time. Sonderberg is a step back into the past. It takes a while before its, its charm begins to work. It's certainly quiet enough. Mm, I was here once years ago, and I always promised myself a return visit. Then it seemed like an oasis in a desert of insanity. Yes, I suppose so. Except, of course, that Sonderberg has had its own fair share of horrors, you know. Mmm. Oh, that's good. <laughs> what delightful beer this is. So refreshing. Uh, do go on, please. Well, the castle, do you see it up on that rock? Yeah. Look through the window there, see? Oh, oh yes. yes. Well... That was taken over as a headquarters for the Inquisition. Oh, the poor wretches who were incarcerated and tortured up there. I saw the castle as we drove in. It was beautiful, but it made me shudder. It's not surprising. The Inquisition left several pleasant little mementos, all in as good a state of preservation as Sonderberg itself. You must visit the place while you're here. Well, that is, if you're not squeamish. Squeamish? Look, I've got an idea... Why don't we join up and go round the castle together tomorrow? Well... Please uh, do. Oh, unless that is you're already busy. Well, no, but... Uh, We'd love it, wouldn't we, Beth? Yes. Yes, of course we would. At first, I couldn't understand the young man's enthusiasm. 
uh, I mean, after all, a honeymoon is a, a honeymoon. <laughs> then it struck me that he needed a, a defense mechanism, and I would be there to guard him from the kind of row that I'd stumbled upon just now. Well, at any rate, we agreed to meet in the hotel lobby at ten o'clock in the morning. As events turned out, I needn't have worried about breaking the idyllic atmosphere because as we were about to set off... Good God, it can't be. <laughs> Price, it's you. It really is. Hello, Malcolm. <laughs> now, what are you doing in this neck of the woods? Uh, don't tell me that forced you out of the rat race at last. Malcolm Rivers was one of the world's prize boars. If the first prize in a competition were a part in one of Malcolm's movies, the second prize would have been a part in two of Malcolm's movies. Scouting locations, old son. You see that castle up there? That's just right for a new horror picture we've got. I'd love you to read it. It's a great script. Malcolm, I'm, I'm on vacation. Can't we discuss this later or, or better still see my agent, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, but look, just let me tell you... At this point, our taxi arrived. It was as battered as its driver, but we had all agreed to leave our own transport behind. The trouble was, when Malcolm heard the driver announce that he had come for the castle party... He insisted on coming with us. Castle? Well, you don't mean to say you're actually going there? Yes. Oh, well, that's great. I can actually show you where it all takes place while I'm telling you about it. Malcolm, I... Oh, come on, don't be so coy. You're worse than a virgin on a wedding night. <laughs> I just couldn't shake him off. You never could with Malcolm. That's how he'd hustled his way to the top. Now he attached himself to us like an... Incubus. The film's all about the Sonderbergs. You know, the family. A sort of pageant of atrocity. I want to step back and look objectively at what each one did. Take Elisa, for instance. While she I can't speak for the others, I was doing my best not to listen. The castle, for those who don't know it, is built on an immensely steep rock dominating the town. And on its northern side is surrounded by a moat, which has long since been filled in. At the foot of the wall is a very pleasant garden with little sheltered seats. Sitting there is a good way of recovering from the rather overpowering tour round the castle. The girl was right. There still was a sinister aura clinging to the place which even a hot and cheerful summer's morning couldn't entirely dissipate. And they broke in and found the girl strung up by the wrists over the hot coals. Incredible story. Of course, we can't actually put all that into the picture, but we can imply a hell of a lot. You've got to admit, it's a damn good commercial plot line. Now, that's why it's so important to get the feel of the place where it happened. We want to get right away from the studio look. Well, they can go out and shoot a police picture in real locations, or why not a horror picture? Now, the seventh count was a real character. This, this you've got to hear. They say Mr. Rivers, uh, do you mind if we change the subject? Huh? My wife is feeling a bit faint. Uh, oh, oh that, that's too bad, Mrs. Uh, and we haven't even seen the torture tower yet. Uh, now, sir, would your lady wife like to wait for us out here? She could sit down there in the garden. Oh, no, I, I don't want to miss anything. I'm quite all right. I think it was probably just that steep hill uh, and the heat. You go on, Malcolm. Hmm? We'll catch up with you later. Uh, oh, no, no. I wouldn't dream of it. Stick together through thick and thin. That's my motto. <laughs> oh, I know. Look at that. Ah, oh, isn't it sweet? 
It, it can't be more than six weeks old. It was a tiny black kitten, which was playing with its mother near one of the seats in the garden just below us. The cat, a great sleek creature whose coat shone in the sun, lay stretched on the grass and the kitten romped around nearer. The mother would wave her tail for the kitten to try to clutch with its paw or raise her feet to push the little one away as an encouragement to further efforts. It was a charming sight. Beth has been on to me to buy her a cat as soon as we were married. Now I'll get no peace. Oh, Jack, I'd like to take them both. I wonder who they belong to. Oh, they're not strays, and that's for sure. Look at the condition of the mother's coat. Well, they probably belong to the castle. It'd be great for the picture. Had a touch of atmosphere. Here, 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 puss. Oh, puss. Malcolm, leave them alone. <laughs> they can't get up the wall anyway. It's far too steep. <laughs> yes, yes, you're right. Oh, look at the size of the mother. We don't grow cats like that in England. Now, wait just a minute. Ah, ah, here we are. What are you doing? Well, I'll just throw this stone to attract their attention. No, don't do that. Don't do that. You might hit the kitten. Oh, not a chance. What do you take me for? I may produce uh, movies, but I'm not all that bad. I'll just aim it so it lands near them. Make them look up. You ever seen the expression on a cat's face when it's startled? Well, well, watch. Oh, good God, God, man, look what you've done. I, I, I never meant, never meant to do that. Maybe the wall wasn't as sheer as it looked. Maybe there was a concealed angle at its base which we couldn't see. Whatever the reason, Malcolm's aim wasn't as true as he thought. I truly believe that he only intended to startle those cats. But when he leaned over the wall and threw the stone, it landed with a sickening thud right on the kitten's head and shattered out its little brains <laughs> there and then. Oh, <laughs> The mother cast a swift upward glance, and I saw her eyes flash like green fire as she stared for an instant at Malcolm Rivers. Then her attention was given to the kitten. After one quiver, it lay still, while a thin red trickle oozed from a gaping wound. Well, I, I wouldn't have had, had this happen for the world. I, I, I can't understand it. Yes, darling. The cat was assiduously licking the kitten's wound. And then suddenly she stopped. She must have realized that it was dead and that her ministrations were useless. For all at once she appeared to lose all interest in the pathetic little body... Instead, she looked again at Rivers, and in that look was all the concentration of primitive hate. Her green eyes blazed, and the blood which dabbled her mouth and whiskers made her look for all the world like an avenging fury. There, Malcolm, I hope you're satisfied. That's something for your horror film. And you have the consolation of knowing it's real blood and not vegetable dye. Oh, don't rub it in. I feel bad enough as it is. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Of course you do. I, I love cats. I really do. Although my outburst was a relief, I I felt slightly ashamed. I, I realized how painfully vulnerable the man really was. I turned my attention to the cat. She was now attempting to claw her way up the wall. When this failed, she tried to launch herself into the air, eyes blazing, claws distended... And then she fell back. Let's go on. I can't bear any more. Do you want to go home? 
we can come back tomorrow. I, um, I think a brandy would do you good. I think a brandy would do us all good. No, I don't want to go back to the hotel. I want to see the castle. Let's go on. In face of her obvious determination, there was nothing else we could do. At least the tour would divert her mind, or so we hoped. The Price of Fear is brought to you by Sheena's Jungle Room and Midvalley Mutations. <laughs> and this week, brought to you by Acme Brand Halloween Costumes. With a variety of classic costumes for the kiddos, you might think Acme has forgotten someone else around the house. But that's not true. Because with an array of This Is My Halloween Costume t-shirts and two different hobo costumes, we have everything Dad needs this year. Acme brand Halloween Costumes. We've got you covered. And now, we return you to the price of fear. And we also hoped that Malcolm would be deterred from prattling on about his inane script. But no. I really expect to pick up some great vibrations in the torture tower. It's just over there. You see, you see, you, you can't expect to involve your audience unless you involve yourself. Now that's... That's the basic rule. You've got to be convinced. And that's why so many movies are just laughable. Nobody is convinced, least of all the makers. <laughs> I remember one crazy scene. <laughs> this will kill you. <laughs> there was this As Malcolm laughed, I looked back at the cat. She too had heard, and her whole demeanor seemed to change. She no longer tried to jump or run up the wall but instead began to lick and fondle the dead kitten as if it were alive. Then she took it in her mouth and began to follow us until we reached the limit of the wall's boundary. I thought I was the only one who noticed, but I was wrong. Mr. Rivers, I know this may sound silly, but I think that cat means to do you harm. <laughs> oh, now that I love. Oh, let's keep a sense of proportion about this. Rhyme. Well, Terribly sorry about what happened, but I refuse to avoid dark alleys over a damn cat. <laughs> Besides, she probably has a litter of others under some bush. Yes, Beth, I think you're being melodramatic. Do you? Look, Beth, are you sure you wouldn't rather call it a day? Oh, for heaven's sake, stop fussing. I said I was all right, didn't I? Or are you trying to get rid of me? Oh, now, don't start that again. All I was trying to do was to give Mr. Rivers a perfectly reasonable warning. I think all are afraid. Well... Here's the tower entrance. Shall we go in? I tried to sound unconcerned, but somewhere in the back of my mind, I had a sneaking feeling that the girl was probably right. At first, we could see nothing. The darkness seemed incarnate, surrounding, stifling us like a blanket. The four of us just stood there, waiting for the use of our eyes to return. We were in the lower chamber. The thin sunlight filtering in through a tiny window seemed to lose itself in the thickness of the walls, which were coated with the dust of centuries. 
Here and there were patches of dark stain. Only rivers, naturally, remained comparatively unmoved. Not much room for cameras down here. Still, I suppose we could manage. Uh, excuse me, but you are English? Yes. No. Well, three of us are. I think you are English are interested in tortures, yes? Yes. Uh, you would like to see our collection? Yes. The yes. best in Germany. Well, thank you very much. Perhaps you could show us around. You will follow me, please. You are my first party of the day. The main collection is on the floor above. I think you will find them interesting. I remembered the wealth of stories about the legendary cruelty of the Counts of Sonderberg and, of course, their ladies. It was said that they had found a legitimate outlet for their bloodlusts by channeling them into the service of the officers of the Inquisition. None of your half-measures here. Wow! Look at all that! Oh, Jack! We found ourselves in a room full of torture instruments, Chairs full of spikes which gave instant and excruciating pain. Steel cages in which the head could slowly be crushed into a pulp. Racks, belts, boots, gloves, collars, and all around the walls great headsmen's swords. Evil, keen-edged weapons that would decapitate with one slash and nearby blocks where the victims' necks had lain, with deep notches where the steel had bitten through the guard of flesh and shored into the wood. We all found ourselves speechless in the face of this bestial evidence of man's inhumanity to man. All that is except but Malcolm this Rivers. Is unbelievable! Just what we need! It's too good to be true, it really is. Do you see? It's perfect for a setup just here. It's a question of getting permission to use the stuff, but well, I wonder what the formalities are. Hey, let me just sit in that chair a moment. Wow! <laughs> Rivers was behaving with his usual insensitivity, but there was something more. I think the others shared the feeling with me that it was sacrilegious. An odd word to use, I know, but there was something sacred about the place. It was a, a temple but a temple to evil. Now, over here, sirs and madam, is a famous instrument of the Inquisition. Uh, one might almost say the most famous and still in perfect working order. The old man pointed to the main object in this chamber of horrors, the Iron Virgin, a copy of the famous one at Nuremberg. The contraption was covered in rust and dust except for the face which was oddly fresh-looking, as if the custodian had scrubbed it. While the figure was curved in the shape of a woman, it was just broad enough for a man to fit inside, as we could see when the door was opened. The door itself was enormously thick and was worked open and shut by a thick chain running through a pulley attached to a heavy beam in the roof. When the weight was released, the door would slam shut. The devilish nature of the Iron Virgin was truly revealed when you examined the inside of the door. A number of iron spikes were fixed there, and when the victim was placed inside it and the door closed, the upper spikes would pierce his eyes and the lower ones his heart and vitals. What a charming toy. Oh, God, look at the bloodstains. <laughs> it's hard to wash out blood completely, man. 
and there are some who say it comes back anyway. I think I can believe this place is haunted. And on that happy note, I vote that we make a hurried exit. That suits me. Well, let's go and have that drink we promised ourselves, shall we, right now? No, 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 wait. What's up this time, for God's sake? Hey, you, old man. Now, how big is that space? What, sir? Uh, the space inside. I want to see if I can get in. Oh. <laughs> well, I told you, I like sampling new experiences. Now, Malcolm, realism is one thing. Nonsense. Courage of your convictions and all that. Now, come on, squire. I need your help on this. Very good, sir, if you insist. You're not serious. Well, sure I am. Yeah. <clears throat> That's a <laughs> tight fit. You have... Grown some since those days, but I'll manage. Here, see, you are not really allowed to do this, sir. If anyone found out, I might get into trouble. Why should anyone find out? I might even lose my job. Okay, okay, I get you. A price, uh, give him something, will you? Oh well, I'll... I'll settle with you later. I think this is all very silly. All in the cause of art. Well, I, for one, won't go and see his beastly film. That, my dear, makes two of us. Hey, what's all the whispering about? Oh, here you are. Two, four, six. <laughs> thank you, sir. Oh, thank you, sir. Do you think that will square your conscience? Oh, yes, sir. I, I think it squares it very nicely. And now that you've had your little game, can we all go? Go, if you like. I'm not stopping you. I'm, I'm staying here. Oh, come on, Malcolm. Malcolm, nothing. I'm really enjoying this. Live dangerously, that's my motto. <laughs> oh, Charlie, now unfasten the door. But, sir... Can't somebody stop Malcolm, this? you've had your little joke, but enough is enough. Enough hell. You, Charlie, do as I tell you. Now start letting that door down. But slowly. Very, very slowly. Despite his reluctance, the old man did as he was told. He worked the machine with a deliberate and excruciating slowness in which the outer edge of the door hadn't moved half five inches in as many minutes. The whole ridiculous charade had a kind of macabre thrill about it. <laughs> it was a scene from Malcolm's horror film played exclusively for our benefit. And then I saw her cat. I don't think the others noticed at first. They were too intent on watching the progress of that door. Even Rivers had ceased to chatter. In the far corner of the chamber, dark, untamable forces were gathering. Her green, baleful eyes shone like danger lamps, and as I peered at her, I could see that their color was heightened by the blood, which still smeared her coat and reddened her mouth, and still, slowly, inexorably, with the precision of an expert, the old man went on working that door. Even then, I wasn't sure what the animal intended to do, or even if she intended to do anything, until suddenly... The cat! Look out for the cat! The cat launched herself, not at Malcolm, but at the luckless custodian. Her eyes blazed with ferocity. Her hair bristled till she seemed twice her normal size. Her tail lashed out like a tiger's when the quarry is before it. 
The cat's claws found one of his eyes, and I actually saw her tear through it and down his cheek, leaving wide bands of red where the blood seemed to spurt from every vein. Oh, Jack! Oh, God! Look out! He can't hold it! With a yell of agony and terror, the man leapt back, dropping the chain which held back the door. It ran like lightning through the pulley block, and the massive door slammed shut! In the instant before the door had closed, I saw Malcolm's face. His eyes stared as if dazed, and for once in his life, he was speechless. Jack, help me get the door open. For God's sake, help me. I'm coming. Beth, stay where you are. For God's sake, don't look. The end must have been quick, for when we managed to wrench the door open, the spikes had done their work. They had pierced right through the skull, so that as the door opened, the body came with it, and he fell to the floor, face turned upwards. Get your wife out of here. She needs air. I'll attend to the old man. Right. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> the old custodian was leaning against the wooden pillar, holding his reddening handkerchief to his eyes, while on the face of poor rivers, there sat the cat purring loudly as she licked the blood which trickled through the gashed sockets of his eyes. I pushed her away from her ghoulish meal and, well, I hope no one will call me cruel because I seized one of the old executioner's swords from its rack on the wall and with one slash, shore her in two on the spot. Sheena's Jungle Room and... Mid-Valley Mutations have been bringing you The Price of Fear. And this week, brought to you by Acme Brand Halloween Costumes. 15% fewer slutty costumes with 85% more empowering ones. Acme Brand Halloween Costumes. Or for the rest of the year, too. We don't judge. And now, Prepare yourselves for the conclusion of The Price of Fear. Poor Malcolm. He'd had his total experience, a good deal more total than he'd bargained for. Cozy, wasn't it? You see what I mean about cats? You never can tell. That was Vincent Price, bringing you The Price of Fear. Also starring in this story, Cat's Cradle, were Kenneth J. Warren and Frederick Schrecker, with John Sampson and Bonnie Harren. Cat's Cradle was first recounted as The Score by Bram Stoker, dramatized by Richard Davis and produced by John Dias.
And hello out there in Radio Land. Or should I say, greetings, one and all. It is time for Dime Store Revelations. The show within a show. Where we talk a little bit about what we have been listening to. I don't know if I can hold that up the entire bit, but uh, thank you for tuning in, everyone. It looks like we got a little bit of an active chat going, which is always nice uh, on a Monday night. I think Maginos has already gone to bed. Good night, good night. But we do have Charles and uh, WR hanging around. Mike Rogers is uh, available as well. Getting ready for Sounds from Space, the show coming up afterwards. Glad to have Mike Rogers back in the house. Absolutely. And Mr. Fab, of course. Hello, hello. And I believe Heather just finally popped in at the very last minute there. Yeah, in, in 1973, when that uh, Cat's Cradle story was first broadcast on the BBC, I should say, who have a much more... Um, uh, uh, d- d- different kinds of standards uh, when it comes to broadcasting and whatnot than the, we do in the United States. Uh, I suspect that they uh, did not flinch at all in broadcasting a story where the hero of the program murders a cat at the very climax of the, <laughs> of the narrative. Uh, but uh, um, nevertheless, uh, uh Vincent is uh, very uh, charming and weird and uh, I don't know that some of these stories where he is the character in the story it feels very much like it's not Vincent Price you know it, it's a different kind of a, a variant as it were let's just say I think Charles is correct. We're going to uh, have to anticipate some ghost cats getting some revenge on Vincent Price at some point in the future. Yeah, we are in the uh, throes of our Hellraiser already. Uh, And uh, let me tell you, if you are the kind of person that can do this, uh, why don't you scroll to the top of the page of any of the... WFMU radio show pages uh, anywhere on the website and just click that pledge now button. Um, it'll really help us out quite a bit if you can because uh, you know, we are um, listener funded. And I don't want to get too far into that because uh, the October uh, Hellraiser is uh, supposed to be uh, kind of a half drive. We don't do things uh, we, we try to prevent present content and quality programming uh and then we ask you to make a donation uh we do a full drive in march so that's why we kind of don't talk it up too much but please do donate do come to uh, appreciate what we're doing here if you can and uh please uh, join us on the ride uh, we're having a lot of fun trying to uh, do some good programming for you and uh, we would love to see you uh um more often and 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 uh as a part of the family. I'm definitely only feeling about, you know, half uh, power today, uh, 50% um, uh, uh, energy, as it were. So I'm, I'm taking things a little bit easy, but um, 
I do want to mention that uh, for the back half of all of these Halloween shows for the next four weeks, uh, we are featuring a a show called Quiet Please. And uh, we did this last year. We're doing it again this year. Uh, Now, I had to clean up the audio because, unfortunately, the records of the Quiet Please episodes that exist... Uh, are all very uh, poor quality. And so uh, the, there's a lot of surface noise, there's a lot of clicks and pops, etc. I have done my best to help clean it up and improve the audio as much as I can. It is still so-so, unfortunately. But uh, what I, I do uh, hope is that uh, you uh, can still get the basic idea out of it when you listen. And uh, just perk your ear a little bit it, it it takes some training but you can you can hear through the dirt you really can mac used to talk about that on the antique phonograph music program but just the right training you can you can hear it uh so yeah i also used a little bit of uh some online uh sound uh enhancing tools to uh improve the audio for the halloween shows this year and you'll know what i'm talking about there's a few in particular where the the original audio clearly sounded awful and so the uh, improvement is uh, is good um, but anyway uh let's uh let's get on to uh the next uh, bit here uh, um i am going to uh, be uh, playing in the dime store revelations slot for the rest of the month a biography channel documentary about boris karloff one of my favorite Halloween uh, style actors and characters who was a, a, a gentle person and a, a terrifying screen presence. Uh, and uh, you know me, I'm a sucker for these biography channel documentaries from the 90s. That was like when I was uh, watching a lot of uh, biography channel uh, documentaries. <laughs> so the format and the nostalgia for them is, is pretty heavy. Uh, and of course, it's Boris Karloff. So, uh, what are you going to do? It's 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 a, it's a good story. Uh, his life is interesting. Uh, that is for sure. I've heard a longer documentary actually about him, and uh, this one really kind of only uh, covers the the, the basics. Uh, it, it, I might uh, try to do a longer documentary about him at some point. But uh, nonetheless, uh, let's uh, get into our evening's uh, remainder of the show. Uh, it's Dime Store Radio Theater here on Sheena's Jungle Room, WFMU. We're in the middle of our Hellraiser. It's our Halloween spooktacular. There's so much going on. But of course, we still want to bring you some good old-fashioned radio. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of our feature presentation. It's, uh, it's Sheena's Jungle Room, WFMU, and Dime Store Radio Theater. What more could you ask for? just screamed is perfectly quiet now. Boris Karloff scared the hell out of me. You're afraid of me, aren't you? He's got this wonderful kind of voice that takes you in. I leave my secret with you. It's all there. He was underrated as an actor. 
because his fame was so enormous. Boris Karloff, the one, the only king of monsters. My father really was a gentle soul. I don't think he scared anybody. <laughs> Not in real life, he never did. Boris Karloff, the gentle monster. A biography channel documentary. Part one. For most of the 20th century, the name Boris Karloff became synonymous with terror. But the actor who gained his greatest fame as the Frankenstein monster was, in fact, a well-educated British gentleman, born William Henry Pratt in the London suburb of Camberwell on November 23, 1887. The youngest of nine children born to Edward John Pratt Jr. and his wife Eliza, Billy Pratt was provided with a mixed heritage, reflective of his parents' roots in the British diplomatic service. Most of his family were all very, very high in the British government. They were all government servants. And uh, his father had been working as some member of the government in India, which one assumes is where he met his mother. He was very, very dark, and his family was East Indian on his mother's side. And he always had this very heavy color. And in a British school, you know, with his coloring, friends used to do, say, you know, you must spend an awful lot of time in the sun, and how do you, how do you get that tan? And Boris always said, well, plenty of gin and a tight collar, and it's, that's the way I got it. When John Pratt abandoned his family to live in France, five-year-old Billy was left in the care of his mother and older siblings. But Eliza's death just two years later would deal the young boy an emotional blow from which he would never recover. I don't think he had a warm, cuddly childhood or family life. I think that his uh, older brothers would come home and would knock him about a bit and go off again. And I don't think he had fond memories, and he never talked about it. After playing the Demon King in a parish production of Cinderella, nine-year-old Billy became fascinated by the theater. But it was Gerald de Maurier's flamboyant interpretation of Captain Hook in a London stage production of Peter Pan some years later that got the young boy hooked on acting. All he wanted to do was to become an actor, and he did whatever it took to, to pursue that lifelong dream. Despite strong pressure to enter the diplomatic service, Billy Pratt dropped out of King's College at the University of London. At 21, he pocketed his modest inheritance and sailed on the Empress of Britain to seek a new life, far from his judgmental family. Arriving in Montreal, Canada on May 17, 1909, the aspiring actor worked his way west, taking employment as a farmhand and manual laborer. Within a year, he had reached British Columbia, where he exaggerated his credentials and was hired as an actor with the Gene Russell Players, a traveling stock company. It was here, for the first time, that William Henry Pratt adopted the stage name Boris Karloff. The surname, he said, from a Russian name on his mother's side, and Boris from thin air. My father never took Boris Karloff legally. It was an AKA. All his legal papers were signed William Henry Pratt, AKA Boris Karloff. His contracts were signed Boris Karloff. <laughs> I don't know if that makes him legal or illegal. <laughs> But Boris's budding career was cut short in Regina, Saskatchewan. In the summer of 1912, a devastating tornado destroyed the town, killing 41 people and leaving the company's theater and scenery in ruins. 
Karnoff returned to menial jobs until another stock company, the Harry St. Clair Players, hired him for three seasons. It's during this period that Boris is thought to have married a Canadian actress named Olive de Wilton, but no record of their union survives. After emigrating to the United States in 1913, he quit the St. Clair Players and, following a theatrical stint in Chicago, settled in Los Angeles, home of the rapidly expanding motion picture industry. His first confirmed screen employment was as an extra in this Douglas Fairbanks vehicle, His Majesty the American. More screen work followed, including a featured role as a Huron Indian in The Last of the Mohicans. But life wasn't easy for a Hollywood actor, even one as versatile as Boris Karloff. Well, he was absolutely poverty-stricken and hungry most of the time. But he had is what he always referred to as the fire in his belly for the craft. He just had it. And he said his favorite thing was canned mulligatawny soup because he would make one meal out of the soup part and another meal out of the vegetables that were in it. It was that bad. He was starving most of the time. It was also during this period that the young Karloff would be married and divorced two more times. In July of 1920 to a musician named Montana Lorena Williams and again in February of 1924 to Helene Vivian Soule, a Hollywood actress and dancer. Those were days when he was running his trade. He was as often, I think, driving a truck, loading a truck or unloading a freight car as much as he was making uh, films in those days to, to make ends meet. By now, Boris was working steadily, mostly in bit parts and character roles and usually as a villain. His dark, brooding eyes and exotic coloring recommended him to play everything from Arab sheiks and gangsters to a Moroccan bartender, seen here in a recently discovered silent film entitled Sharpshooters. He could be very villainous. He could be debonair. He could be handsome, he could be ugly. He could do a lot of things with very little makeup, and so he was a very versatile actor. Karloff's most important role to date was as the macabre mesmerist in The Bells opposite Lionel Barrymore. A performance patterned, it seems, after this German expressionist horror classic, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. In 1928, the advent of sound threatened to expose another of Karloff's pronounced characteristics. Art thou prepared for the execution? Somebody said, what about his lisp? Summon the executioner. But he could do most anything with his voice. Be very sinister, but also be very soothing, very pleasant, very cultured. In 1930, Boris tied the knot again, this time to a woman named Dorothy Stein. She was a librarian, and he had just begun to get some better parts when they married. But uh, he was an unknown. To a character actor like Boris Karloff, there was perhaps no greater hero than Lon Chaney. His unique gift for creating grotesque makeups and horrifying characterizations made him one of the screen's first superstars. But while preparing for the role of Dracula in Universal Pictures' film version of the successful stage play, Shaney was stricken with throat cancer and died in 1930. 
Desperate to find a successor to their man of a thousand faces, Universal producers decided to gamble on the Hungarian actor who had created the part on Broadway, Bela Lugosi. I am Dracula. Dracula, the original terrifying story of a man who lived after death. The film's tremendous success made the dashing actor an international star. Now billed as the new Lon Chaney, Universal quickly announced that Lugosi would star in a film adaptation of another gothic masterpiece, Frankenstein. He thought that a script which had virtually no dialogue at all was not something he wanted to do. Uh, and he also realized that the makeup was so heavy that his abilities as an actor uh, wouldn't be used the way that, that he thought they should. And he turned down the role. With Lugosi out, Universal executives assigned the task of casting the monster to a new director, the brilliant and eccentric James Whale. In his search for an actor who could convincingly play the part of a creature stitched together from the bodies of dead convicts, Whale noticed a 43-year-old actor who was receiving industry attention in Howard Hawks' taught prison drama, The Criminal Code. Howard Hawks picked Carl off to play the same part he'd done on the stage. He was so impressed with him. And the character of Galloway, you can see the Frankenstein monster for the first time. During a chance meeting with Boris in the Universal Studios commissary, Whale is rumored to have said, Your face, Mr. Karloff, has interesting possibilities. Boris Karloff, The Gentle Monster, a biography channel documentary. We'll return next week on Time Store Revelations. Tune in and follow the story. And now, for our third installment of the evening, we present The Black Hood. The Black Hood. Criminals, beware. The Black Hood is everywhere. I, the Black Hood, do solemnly swear that neither threat, nor bribe, nor bullet, nor death itself shall keep me from fulfilling my vow to erase crime from the face of the earth. really patrolman Kip Verland, a fact known only to newspaper woman Barbara Sutton, has just been talking to Barbara on the phone. They were discussing the old miracle man at his strange housekeeper, Wamba. Sergeant McGinty, patrolman Verland's superior, had thought their visit to the voodoo doctor merely routine. But Kip Verland and Barbara Sutton were fascinated by the black magic of the old miracle man. In fact, the old man had given Barbara an odd emerald ring in a twined serpent setting. Wamba, the old housekeeper, objected to the gift. We find a telephone conversation between Kip Verland and Barbara Sutton 
has been interrupted by a stranger at Barbara's door. Holland is holding the line. What are you doing here with the gun? You can't come in. But I can't, yes. Yeah. Well, I'm in and no one's going to stop me either. Not till I get what I came here for. You can't get away with it. Are you all right? Yeah, there's no one around. I made sure the doorman was out. Oh, I came in and I walked up the stairs. Well, I've heard enough of that. I'd better get over to Barbara's in a hurry. It's time for the Black Hood to go to work. I told you time and time again, that's all the money I have in the apartment. You've got all the silver and linen, what more do you want? Now, I'll have that emerald ring for in your finger. This ring? Why, that's not worth anything. That's all right, I'll take it anyhow. It's on my finger and that's where it's going to stay. I wouldn't want to have to shoot it off. Well, aren't you satisfied? You've got everything of value in the place. I'm going to keep this ring. Now look here, I've tried to be nice with you. It looks as if I'll have to take it by... Oh, stop! It'll be you looking there. Over that door. Uh, someone's here to help me. Well, I'll get that person yet if I have to kill them all. Get out. There he goes, Kip. Out the window and down the fire escape. He didn't hit you with one of those three bullets, Bat, did he? No, I, I know I do if I did the tip of my finger. He almost twisted it off trying to get the brain. You poor kid. Well, he certainly made a fast exit. I'll say he did. Look here, he left his loop behind him. Did you get a good look at him? Yes, but I'm glad I asked you to hold the line. I'd better hang up the phone now. He had a mask over his face, and he wore a dark blue suit. Yes, and he had a cap on, too. Had it right. Here's his cap. What an stealing. I'm glad he left all that nice silver and linen behind him, boy. Lance, I have a hunch he never really wanted that stuff to begin with. Well, what makes you think that? Because here's the road of fields, too. Your money is missing. Now, any good self-respecting robber puts money in his pocket, no matter how quick a getaway he has to make. He certainly takes something with it. Now, this visitor of yours was after something else, Bab. Here, let me look at that ring. Here, dear. He says that's what I get for accepting presents from strangers. If the old miracle man hadn't given me this, it all might not have happened. Yes, you've got something there, Barbara. This man was after the ring. You mind if I take it with me? I'll return it later. You're certainly welcome to it. If it means I'm going to have thugs breaking into my apartment, I can just as well return it to the Miracle Man. Oh, no. That's one thing we're not going to do. Well, why not? Someone seems to be too anxious to get it back. Where are you at, Princess Sutton? There's no one dragged you into the newspaper, does it? Did they? <laughs> it sounds just like my father. Hmm. Well, I'm not complaining, really, Sergeant, but it, it is rather disconcerting to have a gunman break into your apartment and practically scare the wits out of you. Oh, yes? Yeah? You don't scare so easy. So he didn't take anything, did he? Well, luckily that... Well, I, I mean, luckily Kip came just in time. You see, I've been talking to him on the phone when the door buzzer rang. Ah, Kip's a good boy. I guess you know that. She knows I'm a boy. Good afternoon, Sergeant. Hello, Kip. Hi, Bob. Say, it's too bad you didn't get that snake thief this afternoon. I wouldn't call him that, Dodge. Why not? Now, listen. I've had 25 years of dealing with men just like that. What I did was to let him get away with something. Then the rest is easy. You just check up on all the fences in town, train your man that way, and before you know it, your crook is in jail. Well, Sergeant, I have an idea that this man was after something else when he broke into Barbara's apartment. And I'll tell you why. Now, let's... 
tonight and we work magic again? Yes. Tonight at midnight, we have a voodoo to perform. This time, it is to be a young man. Last night, old man died from voodoo. Will be buried tomorrow. He deserved to die. He was cruel. He beat his wife and children. She came to me in tears to beg for help. Wumba no, wumba tea. Tonight we work our black magic on a younger man. He is a thief, the greatest of thieves. He has stolen from his father. Although will be odds, young man healthy, and Wumba's magic ring gone. But the voodoo will work. It always does. And forget about the yellow emerald ring. Dagnabbit, Kip. Maybe there is something to what you say. I'll tell you what. Tonight at midnight, I'll go down there myself to this miracle man's place. You want me to come with you? No, not tonight. They know you, but they've never met me. And you know the old saying, a new broom sweeps clean. Well, what are you going to do, Sergeant? Arrest him? No, I haven't got any evidence to arrest him on. For that matter, what charge have we got against him? But as this kid here says, that old emerald ring came from the Miracle Man shop, and this gunman seems to be specially interested in it, then maybe... Maybe... You mean, maybe the old woman, Lamba, knows something about it? No, that's possible, Miss Sutton. All right. I'm going down there tonight at about 11.30. And then wait for... feel important being taken to my office in a police car. Quite a thrill, huh? If you want to pick me up later, Kip, I have only about an hour's work to do. Little story about the triplets born on their mother's birthday up at the Northville Hospital this morning. Aha, uh -huh, so they got you on that vital statistics stuff now. Well, if you remember yesterday at the police station, you were asking about the list of people born, married, and dead. Well, that gave me the idea. I suggested it to Mr. Worthington, and there you are, another byline feature. Babs, you may have a really startling story to write soon on almost the same subject. Oh, I don't follow you. It all depends on tomorrow morning's vital statistics list. Kip, I wish you'd stop talking in riddles. Let me in on it. I'm dying of curiosity. So am I. Here, let's pull in here for a minute under these trees. Okay. I've got something to tell you. Right about here would be all right, I think. Nice and romantic, huh? Oh, don't tell me that the great Verland is suddenly going romantic. <laughs> no, Babs, it's strictly business. Now, last night, at a little past midnight, the Miracle Man and Wamba claimed that their magic or voodoo killed a man. Oh, Kip, are we going through all that again? Well, it's been bothering. And now that this ring stuff has popped up and this little souvenir is around... It's like, why that's the cap, the gunman left in my apartment. You did, I, I'd forgotten all about it. I didn't. McGiddy and I checked it over and there's no way of finding out who it belongs to. We'll get to the cap in just a minute. Now, last night, the old man and Wamba claimed they bumped off him. <laughs> We've been all through that. Yet, there's been no report of a violent death. And according to the Bible statistics list, the only death of any kind that occurred around midnight was marked acute indigestion. Well, so what? Well, I've got the name of the man who died. He's due to be buried tomorrow afternoon. And right after dinner this evening, I'm going around to see his widow. And, young lady, maybe you'd like to join me. No, thanks, Kip. I've got a story to write. Be glad to meet you afterward, though. The toddy is sniffing at that cap for. 
Just wondering about dying. Take a sniff of this, Barbara. Something sort of silly, going around sniffing at old cats. Go ahead, back. Go ahead, sniff it. You smell something familiar? Yeah. Doesn't exactly crack me. I know I smelled that scent before. Think hard, Barbara. Could it be an incense of some kind? I tip. You don't mean that you... Yes, I do. That's the very same heavy incense we noticed at the Miracle Man. Well, then, yeah. Oh, no, that, that's impossible. Why, why, the Miracle Man has a beard down to here. And he's old. He must be at least 90. The frog who broke into my apartment and wore that cap was young. Why, he couldn't have been more than about 35. Yes, you're right. But there is such a thing as a disguise, you know. Well, then, if, if it was the old man in disguise, then why would he want to take such methods to get back a ring which he just willingly presented to me as a gift? I've thought of that. But there's something else in that place, and someone else, who might want this ring. You mean Wanda? He might want it for some reason or other. If you're twisting that ring around in your hand as if you wanted to make a wish over it. <laughs> That's an idea. Hey, suppose you put it on rather to make a wish. Here. Right, this put it on. doesn't make sense. Well, what'll I say? Oh, just, just put it on and rub it and say, uh, abracadabra. <laughs> abracadabra. You rubbing it? Mm-hmm. Now, alagazam. <laughs> alagazam. Make your wish now. Uh, boop, get the rat trap. Well, I'm still wishing rubbing, too. Boop, get a rat trap. Caram. Caram. <laughs> huh? look. Look, the ring's open. It what? Rubbing it somehow caused it to open. Look. Be careful, Babs. Don't touch it. Just hold your hand steady. There might be a poison spring in that ring. Well, the stone just slid to one side on the spot of hinge. Look. Can you beat that? There's some kind of powder in here. Here, let me take that ring. Now wait, close it first. Oh. That's it. Careful. I don't want to lose that powder. Well, what are you going to do with it? First, I'm going to have that powder analyzed. Next, I'm on my way to visit a recent widow and last. Yes? Tonight, a certain Miss Barbara Sutton will accompany the Black Hood on a secret mission at midnight. old woman, I didn't come down here at midnight to play ping pong. What's going on downstairs? Private place of miracle man. No one go in. That's you. I get in everywhere without showing a ticket to. Miracle man no like people, no have appointments. Is that so? Well, get out of the way, old woman. I'm going down there right now. Uh, you like the African pottery? No, I ain't interested in old pots or pans neither. Just put it away. Out of my way, you old mummy. Ah, oh, too bad, no And so, Wamba insisted that Sergeant McGitty pay some attention to her African pottery. Crashing the heavy vase on McGitty's head, down goes the good sergeant. Wamba has made good her claim that no one goes into the private chambers of the Miracle Man without an appointment. Now, what will she do with the unconscious McGitty? And what about the Black Hood 
Has he been able to discover anything more about the emerald ring and the strange powder? If Wanda intends to harm McGitty, can the Black Hood and Barbara arrive in time to save him? Be sure to listen tomorrow for more thrilling adventures of the Black Hood. Black Hood is a copyright feature of the NLJ Comic Magazine Group and is broadcast over most of these stations Monday through Friday at 5.15 p.m. This is Mutual. And now, for our fourth and final installment, Time Store Radio Theater's Halloween Spooktacular 2023 presents Quiet. This? Come in, Eddie. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for tonight is called Come In, Eddie. Quiet, Please is brought to you by Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid Valley Mutations. And this week, brought to you by Acme brand Halloween flashlights. While our orange and black plastic molded flashlights with the pumpkin motif is certainly charming enough for any Halloween safety enthusiast, the fact that this baby puts out 3,000 lumens of dark annihilating power will guarantee that your child will always be seen if they use an Acme brand Halloween flashlight, that is. And now, back to Quiet, please. You believe in ghosts? Haunted houses? We got a story for We were sitting in the living room alongside the fireplace. Jim Kaifman. Just sitting there and talking a little. Having the cage run up out of a bottle. Just sitting there and looking at the fire. And that's the clue that Carol was at the apartment in New York made up on a cold. Well, I'd run into Jim on 39th Street that afternoon. He said, how's about driving out to the country to your place, huh? That's what we were talking about this night when it was raining. It was half past twelve. We were all alone in the house. How long have you been here, Arnold? Where? Here? In Eddie's house? This is my house. It is now. But don't forget it. No. You feel funny living here? No. I would. Yeah, I suppose you would. Eddie ever come around? You kidding? No. Does he? Well, how could he? Well, he liked the house pretty well. 
Yeah, if he came around now, he wouldn't recognize it. I couldn't see what you'd done with it. It was so dark when you come in. I'll show you in the morning. Good. Fire for you, sir. Yeah. Now, where you been all the time, Jim? Different places. You stayed right here, huh? Here in New York. I think maybe Carol and I'll move out here, though, permanently in the spring. Not away. Nobody asked. Hey, Arnold. You got what's left? What do you mean? Much. Well, I mean, you know, besides the house? Why? Well, I got some. Why? Why? You broke. Pretty man. You still got your card? Junior card? Sure. Well, what do you mean? Well, if I'm going to play piano, I'm going to do it for fun. Who am I supposed to be? Oh, I thought maybe you'd have an idea. I gave you an idea. Yeah. That's Eddie's piano? That's my piano. The one Eddie had. Yeah. I haven't touched a keyboard in years. So okay. Yes, and he wouldn't lie if I played the piano. Lay off that Eddie stuff, will you? Never that thing needs a light up. That day that I thought he might have done anything. Hey, cut that off, will you? What? Yeah, leave the piano alone. Okay. We just talk, huh? Why don't you just shut up a while? Oh, I kind of feel like talking, I guess. But I don't. Man, I don't talk. You just listen, huh? Want a drink? No. I'll have one. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be alone in this house with Eddie walking around night. Cut it out, haunting you. I told you to cut that out, you hear me? Oh, now, look, you busted one of Eddie's best glasses. You, sir? That's what he was trying to cook up. <laughs> I thought you were afraid of ghosts, Tom. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not, I tell you. Okay, okay, dude. What are you up to, Jim? Well, I just thought maybe you'd... I'd... You know, get your mind on Eddie for a little while. Why? Well, I'll tell you, huh? I gotta have some go. Oh. I got good. And the answer's no. I mean, I gotta have it. Well, listen, you got the big half when... When... When we murdered Eddie...
No, don't make it so big, Arnold. There's nobody here but you and me. Look at that. Nashtray fell off the piano on those thingies. What's the matter? Think it was Eddie? Yes, and I got just about enough of it. Awful cold in here all of a sudden. And no wonder that door's open. Well, I'll get it. No. Wait. Maybe Eddie is in here. Come in, Eddie. Don't say that. Too late, Arnold. Shut the door, Eddie. It was the wind, I told myself. There must have been no wind. For real, there's funny days in an old house like this one. Sure, I The way it can open a door and then the draft of the doorway will close the door sometime. Won't it? It couldn't be Eddie. Well, Eddie's dead. Eddie died six years ago, right here in this house. I hear in this room. I couldn't help it. I liked Eddie. Well, Eddie was my cousin, wasn't he? I couldn't help it. He had more money than he knew what to do with. I couldn't help wanting his money. Well, everybody wants money, don't they? Eddie couldn't have let me know he'd made that will and I was to get everything. Yeah, the house and everything. I'm not going to be crazy. And Kathy. Nobody was going to haunt me. He'd have been here before this. Well, there isn't any way out of it, Arnold. You see? I got to have to. No. And I will give it to you. Now, look, Arnold, let's be reasonable. You let me have this dough, and I'll go away, and I won't come back. How do I know you won't? Well, kid, you don't. But see, you haven't got any alternative. I won't do it. What do they do to him in this state? Who? Mary. Stop talking that way. Hang him or burn him. Well, you find out, too, if you try to squeal on me. You had just as much to do with it as I did. Yeah, that's right. So I did. No, don't try anything. Oh, Arnold, don't be so dumb. That's the trouble with you. You're always so dumb. What? Listen. Who thought of knocking off Eddie in the first place? You did. Right. And who figured out a way to do it so nobody'd ever even suspicion he was murdered? You did? Well, then, jerk, you don't think I haven't got it out on this thing. How? I could tell you. Look, take my word for it, Arnold. I'm the clear. And, brother, you wait. So you might as well lay it on the line and be happy. I don't believe it. Okay, so don't then. But believe me, Arnold, when I tell you it's going to cost you one thing or the other. What do you mean? The dough, Arnold. Or your life. You see? I won't do it. Stir up the fire, now. And cold in here again. Is that door open? No. The door closed, Arnold. Eddie's in here with us. Right. 
I didn't touch that book. Of course you didn't, Arnold. That was Eddie. Starting to stir up the fire for you. Quiet, please, is brought to you by Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations. And this week, brought to you by Acme Brand Halloween Flashlight. These charming-looking flashlights aren't just cute, but are packed full of nostalgia from the fact it takes old-fashioned, easily breakable toxic light bulbs right down to the 16D-sized battery it uses to operate for an evening's work. The nostalgia is so intense when you use our flashlights that we recommend you don't have them turned on for longer than six minutes at a time. Acme brand Halloween flashlights. Exploding with nostalgia. And now, back to... Quiet, please. No such thing as a ghost. Well, white people are dead, they're dead. They don't come back to haunt other people. You can catch them with playing some kind of a trick on me, just like you tricked me into killing Eddie. Well, we never thought of it till he suggested it. You mean to lie awake nights thinking how fine it would be that he was dead when I had all his money. And I remember how Jim Paxson worked on me. I remember how he said, Maybe he'd be better off because he was, he was so sick all the time. And during that time, he told me he figured out a way to kill Eddie so that nobody would ever have the fate. And he kept talking about what we could do with all the money Eddie had. And Eddie, in the next room with that crystal cocktail shaker of his, calling to us to come and have a drink with him, he was so lonesome. And the two of us would drink with him. And Kate never knew what we were the order into my class. I remember Jim whispering in the corner. Nice guy, Eddie. But he's so useless, Arnold. You don't remember Jim on the telephone. Poor old Eddie. Always oh, that drunk. The devil that Then I remember waking up in the middle of the night and thinking I heard Jim's voice somewhere. We'd be doing Eddie a favor, Arnold. And a day in this very room. And Eddie on the floor. And Jim walking across the room with that big, toothy grin of his and sticking out his hand and saying... Congratulations, rich man. And then the, the sound of the pokers falling on the hearth in Eddie's house at midnight. With nobody there but me and Jim Paxton. That was Eddie. Starting to stir up the fire for you. I want a drink. No, now wait, Arnold. Cut it out, Jim. I said wait. We want to get this thing settled before you start to get tight. I'm not going to get tight. I just want a drink. You'll get a drink. I'm going to straighten this thing up first. Now, look. I'll give you $1,000. Why, you big-hearted old fella. Not another dime. Hand me that bottle. Kid, I don't want $1,000. Will you give me a drink? No. Kid, look. I want a lot more than ten lousy hundred-dollar bills. No, you're not going to get it. I think I am. Well, how much? How much have you got? None of your business. Ugh, let's stop kidding around, Arnold. I got a pretty good idea how much dough you got. You have not? Why, you'd be surprised. 
shrug. For twenty thousand dollars, I'll never see you again. Twenty thousand dollars? What do you think I am? A jerk. Now listen. A jerk that murdered his cousin. With your help, Arnold, I never touched you. Well, but you, you killed him. Well, you're just as guilty as I am. Uh-uh. Give me a drink. After a while. What about this party, Jeeves? You. You know what I could do, Jim? What did you do, Arnold? And you said. I killed Eddie. You did? You never. never occurred to you that I. I might kill you? Sure. I'm bigger than you, Jim. Yeah? Well, I could. you could choke me. Or you could hit me with a poker. Or maybe you got guns here. You could shoot me here. Think I will kill you? Do, huh? Yes, I do. Wait a minute, Arnold. Why should I? Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you, Arnold. Go on. See, the trouble with you is you're so dumb. Dumb enough to kill you? Yeah, that sure would be some, boy. Yeah, look here. I told you I got it out if I have to turn you in. I was smart enough to figure that out so nobody could touch you. What's that got to do with me killing you? Well, Arnold, boy, if I was smart enough to figure out a foolproof way of knocking off your cousin, and if I was smart enough to dope out a way to keep my nose clean if they hang you, well, wouldn't I be smart enough to have an angle that'd keep you from bumping me? What do you mean? You know, one of the reasons I like you, Arnold, is you're so simple like Look, don't you ever go to the movies, or listen to the radio, or read a book? What are you talking about? Okay. Look. There's a little note. Written to a certain guy. That spills all the works about how Eddie got knocked off. And this little note, Arnold, is in the hands of a certain other guy. If I don't call him up, or come see him for 24 hours, you lay on the note. You see how simple? They don't believe it. Okay. Knock me off and see. You know, Jim... Jim, I was thinking... Well, what do you know about that? I was thinking... Wouldn't it be funny if... That he was, Keith? Funny? Oh, you know, he said he was here. He said he was here listening to us two talk about how we, we murdered. The word, I don't know, I murdered, how, how we murdered him. You know, you know, I don't think he, he knew who did it. I never thought of that. I don't think he did. He was standing there. Right over there, I remember. And he had his back turned to both of them. Let's not go into the details, Arnold. I remember it well. well I was just thinking if he was here, finding out that we murdered him. Now we're talking about getting rid of each other. Yeah. He got a great kick out of it. Eddie had a terrific sense of humor. Yeah. He also had a terrific sense of getting even with people, Jim. Yeah, I know. Well, if he was here, listen to all this, you know what he'd be thinking about. Yeah. Well, so okay, he's not here. You sure? 
Look out of the wind, blew the door open. Yeah. And I knocked the poker over. Well, how could you? I kicked the base of the stand. Scared you, huh? No kidding. No kidding, did you? I did. Then, then you don't think... You don't think Eddie is here? Now, are you nuts? Well, sure, how could I... I mean, they're... They're right, Eddie. Ghosts. Are there? Well... Uh, not to change the subject for you, but... What about my money? I gotta think about it. You ought to have your thinking all done by now, boy. I've laid it on the line for you. It's open and shut. Hey, give me a drink. Go ahead. Wait. What's the matter? Listen. What is that? I... I know what it sounds like. Eddie's cocktail shaker. Yeah. Who else is in the house? Nobody. Don't kid me. I'm not. Listen. Jim. Quiet. Listen, Jim. This is just the way Eddie used to shake up those factories. You remember? Listen. Cheek, 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 cheek. Remember? Eddie. Paul was in the library. Making a drink. Maybe he heard you asking for one. Cut it out. Go see what that noise is. I'm not made. Since it's from the library. Jim. Maybe it is Eddie. Oh, see. No. Listen, if you're pulling a gag on me... Jim, I'm not. I'm telling you. Where is that cocktail shaker? It is. In the library. I put it in there just the other day. Why don't you go see what that noise is? No. Well, let's both go. Jim, I'm afraid. You know what we were talking about? About Eddie getting even. Ah, you're such a jerk. Probably rats or something. Here, give me that poker. I'll go... No. Sing. No. Back away. Hey, Eddie. See? Hey, Eddie. Bring us a drink. No, no, Jim. Cut it out. Look out. Come on, bring us a drink. Hey, Eddie. Come in, Eddie. Oh, what's it? Hey, the light. I don't turn on the light. The light. I'll get him. Hey. I stumbled against the furniture as I tried to find a wall switch, but I couldn't find it. And I felt someone drop a gift, and I heard Jim yelling. I stumbled again. And that cocktail was shaking, then, clinking away the wheel beneath the shake. The way I always remember. Yeah, I heard a kind of smother going out of the dark. And Jim was probably as if somebody had him in my throat. And then I fell over something and hit my head. The last thing I remember was the sound of a crashing. So that passed out cold on the floor. Boy, slowly, slowly I drifted back. The lights were still out. And I could smell it. The way you smell of still liquor. A daiquiri cocktails from a crystal shaker. Nobody in that house had had a daiquiri since the day that he died. And I heard something. I heard the piano. And the music was that old favorite of Eddie's, the one he used to play, the one Jim had started to play from the Cesar Frack D minor. And I called, Jim! Hey, Jim! But the music went right on, and Jim didn't answer. And then the doorbell started to ring, and the music stopped. And the lights went out. And the big fella in some kind of uniform stepped in the door. Don't seem to be anybody. Oh, there you are. Who? Who are you? State police, mister. Oh, I'm glad. I... Well, what do you want? 
Who was that playing the piano when I rang the bell? I don't know. Well, get up off the floor. Where's the... What? Where's Jim? Jim? Is this Jim here, mister? Where? Here. And I looked. Jim was beside the fireplace. And he was... Dead. And beside him was the shattered remains of the crystal cocktail shaker that had been Eddie's. You would do this, mister? But... Where did you come from? You do this? Who sent you here? Well, I'll tell you. Some guy called up and said there was murder being done here, and we'd better get here quick. So, no, don't try any monkey business with me, mister. There's another officer right outside the door, and he's got a Tommy gun, and he's got a well, gun. Who was this, this fellow who told you, officer? That I'm going to find out. You got your hand with him. That's it. I don't know who he was. He just said, this is Eddie speaking. I said, Eddie, oh, he laughed and said, just Eddie. Well, that's all I know. have been bringing you quiet, please. And this week, brought to you by Acme brand Halloween flashlights. No longer considered hazardous in Nevada and Florida. Still outlawed in Oregon and Europe. Acme brand Halloween flashlights. Red hot burning balls of nostalgia should be looked at immediately by a physician. And now, Let's return to the thrilling conclusion of Quiet, Please. You have listened to Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper. The man who spoke to you was Ernest Chappell. And Les Tremaine played Jim Thaxton. Arthur Core was a police officer. Music for tonight's Quiet Please was composed and played by Albert Grumman. And so until next week at this time, I'm quietly yours, Ernest Chapel. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. You have been listening to Dime Store Radio Theater's Halloween Spooktacular 2023! <laughs> On Shinos Jungle Room. Brought to you by Mid-Valley Mutations. We hope to see you again next week. But until then, be seeing you. <laughs>